Well, if you could open up to John chapter 19 this evening, the book of John, we're going to start with chapter 19, verse 17. Well, a big welcome to each and every one of you here this evening. We're so glad you joined us, members, family members, and guests alike. My name is Corey Smidgen. It's my really privilege and delight tonight to lead you through our Good Friday service. It's also good to have many of our youth with us as well. And I'm praying that God is going to speak to you, all our children tonight who are here to hear this word. And if you are a guest, thank you for responding to an invitation. Maybe you're with family and you came tonight. Thank you for being here. Our desire as well that you come back for part two. That part two is Sunday, Resurrection Easter Sunday. So we hope you make it back on this special Holy Week. And we're so glad that you're here. Well, this evening, as you know, we are gathered to remember and to celebrate Good Friday. We're here to remember what happened 2,000 years ago when our Savior was nailed, crucified to a wooden beam just outside of Jerusalem. We're going to remember Good Friday looking at God's word this evening. But this is what we want to do when we look at God's word. We want to know why is Good Friday so good? And that is our objective this morning and this evening as well. And every day, right? Well, let's read now. Let's go to the text. John chapter 19. I'm going to read the whole crucifixion narrative. I'm going to read it. We're driving towards verse 30, the climactic verse of this narrative, the title of this sermon this evening. It is is finished. So starting with verse 17, I read. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, in Latin, Calvary. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, And Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, the King of the Jews. But rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. 
And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Three words in English, one word in the original Greek. Tetelestai, one word. And if we understand, church, this one word are these three words in English. It is finished. We will know why Good Friday is indeed so very good. But let's be real. The words, it is finished. These words are words that probably few of us can utter. Few of us can speak in any definitive sense. We live in a world in which, well, most things are not finished. At least not completed perfectly. Much of what we start is left undone. We long for closure in so many things of our lives. But we so seldom get it. In a larger family like mine, for those who don't know, we have five children. Let me just tell you, closure is hard to come by in just about anything, but especially laundry. Our children would be the first to tell you, laundry is never done in the smidgen household. Just when the dirty clothes have been washed and dried, ironed or folded and put away, there's another dirty laundry basket clothes waiting to be washed. And the same thing goes for the dishes as well. But the time you get the dishwasher unloaded, there's another stack of plates waiting. Right, Stephen? (laughs) Stephen has the dishwashing duties. The work is never done. There's always more cleaning to be done. Welcome to our household, but welcome to all of our lives. But what if that wasn't the case? What if it wasn't? What if there was closure on that which mattered most in your life? I'm not talking about dirty clothes or dishes, but the stain and shame of sin, which not only affects how we relate to one another, but affects how we relate, first and foremost, to our creator God. What if you could truly rest in the presence of others and your Savior, knowing that you could welcome Jesus and people into every area of your life, even in those rooms, metaphorically speaking, where you've posted a do not enter sign? What if the stain on your soul was dealt with once and for all? What if you were really clean, not just on the outside, but on the inside as well. And you knew it. You could feel it. And you could live in the truth of it. What if there were no dirty clothes or laundry to hide when someone came over to your house? No dishes to feverishly scrub when the guests arrived? What if you were truly righteous and could find rest 
in the presence of God and others. Church, this does not have to be a fantasy. It is a reality for all those who have placed their saving faith in the crucified Savior. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying two crucial truths that we want to consider this evening. Number one, this truth. There is nothing more for Jesus to do to pay for your sins. Let me say it again. There is nothing more for Jesus to do in order to pay for your sins. We, we Christians have been made righteous. And number two, because of that truth, there is nothing left for you to do to pay for your sins. We can rest. Let's unpack those points briefly tonight. Point number one, there is nothing more for Jesus to do to pay for your sins. You see, when Jesus cried, it is finished. He was doing a lot more than just announcing his imminent death and departure from earth. Oh, he was doing much, much more. Christ is saying, it is fulfilled. It has been accomplished. What has been accomplished? All that the father had asked of him to do. Jesus is saying at this time at the cross, I, father, have completed the work for which you have sent me to do. Nothing has been left undone. We read back in John chapter four. You don't need to go there. Let me read it to you. The words of Christ when he said this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That word for accomplish, same word that was used in John 19, to accomplish, to finish his work. Christ's ambition, Christ's desire, Christ's purpose was to do the will of the Father to finish it. And it was finished this night on the cross. Jesus is declaring, it is finished. This is not, church, simply some sigh of relief that Christ is uttering. These words are the very pinnacle of Christ's obedience to the Father. Right here upon the cross. It's on Good Friday in which Christ drank the cup of wrath that he had so dreaded on Thursday. In the costliest and probably the most important prayer ever spoken, we read of Christ's words in the Garden of Gethsemane one day prior, where he said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Well, as you know, this cup This cup of the Father's wrath was poured out on sins. And this cup could not not pass from Christ's hands if he were to fulfill the will of the Father and reconcile us to himself. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death for our sinful rebellion against our holy God. And only Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, could pay that wage. And that's exactly what he did 
in obedience to the Father. Now, I know many of you have heard this. Many of you know this. It's easy, isn't it, to hear it again tonight. You're familiar with this gospel passage. You're familiar with this narrative. But what we're about tonight, church, is not just to know it. I know many of you know it. But here's the question. Are you living in the good of it? I'm asking, do you know it? Are you living in the good of it? Or do you feel like God somehow is still punishing you for your past sins? You know, I've, as I interact with Christians, I do find that many still believe this. They don't believe it. It's still a whisper in their ear when something bad happens to them. Oh, God must be punishing me for this or for that. Church, please hear this. God may discipline you for a season to teach you, but he will not punish you to condemn you. That punishment has been made in full. To say otherwise, church, is to say that it is not finished, that God somehow, Christ's obedience on the cross was not complete, that I must somehow complete it or that I despair because I cannot. And you know what? That's exactly what the enemy of your soul wants you to believe and to think. Hear these words from second, excuse me, from Colossians 2, verse 15. Where the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is speaking about Christ on the cross, where our sins, our debt, was canceled and nailed to the cross. And then we hear these words, in Colossians 2.15, speaking of Christ, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Who are those rulers and authorities who were disarmed at the cross? They were the demonic powers. Satan himself. Please listen. The only power that Satan has is over sin, over sinners, is sin. The only power he have is sin. See, he disarmed the rulers and the power, powers and authorities. What were they armed with? With accusations, with condemnation due to the guilt of our sin. But Jesus, in counseling our sin, Jesus, in forgiving our sin, not only put away sin, but in doing so, removed our guilt. And once the guilt is removed, the basis of Satan's accusations against us have also been removed. Do you see it? He disarmed Satan and his minions and triumphed over them at the cross. Satan's accusations have no more merit for those who are in Christ Jesus if you believe they do, they're nothing but lies that are whispered to you, O oh Christian. Are you fighting with this truth tonight? It is finished. There is no more punishment for sin. There is no more condemnation for all those in Christ Jesus. But that's not all. That in itself is amazing. But we can't stop there on Good Friday. We can't stop there when speaking about the gospel. No. Not only are our sins no longer counted against us, we're forgiven. Not only are we declared innocent 
i.e. justified, but we are counted and made righteous before God as well. We have been made righteous. Sometimes I wonder, do I really get this? Do we really understand this? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just that we're forgiven and guiltless. The gospel is that we have been forgiven and made righteous. And made righteous, acceptable, and pleasing to our God. The gospel isn't just about the removal of our dirty garments. The gospel is about the fact that we have been fitted with perfect and clean and new garments that we may be pleasing to God, that we may dine with him, that we may take up our abode with him, that we may call out to him, Abba, Father. How can this be? How can this be? Because Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father and passed the test where we failed. And his final test, friends, was right here at the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore our sins and he completed the job. He finished it. His perfect earthly obedience to the Father was complete. And that obedience is now ours. Hear the words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We read this. For our sake, he, that is God the Father, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'll be the first to admit to you, there's a mystery there. But do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you believe it? His perfection, his righteousness has been credited to us. We have been forgiven. We have been cleansed. Amen. But we've also been made righteous, perfect in his sight, holy and blameless, that we can come to God, that he can bring us to the Father, that we can be his sons and daughters, that we can be his children, that we can gather here this morning, not as a slave, but as a son, and that we can cry out to him as those who belong to him. Christ's obedience into death was not just the basis for our pardon. It was the basis for our perfection in God's eyes. What does that mean to you this evening? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? When I think of Christ's pardon, when I think of his forgiveness, I believe it's speaking to the guilt that we so often can encounter because of our sin. But I think when Christ speaks of his perfection, it speaks to our shame. What is shame? It's an emotional pain that we often feel or can feel over our past behavior. It's not just that I did wrong, but it's the belief that something really is despicably wrong with me that I'm so despicable, that I'm so dirty, that I cannot come into the presence of God, that he would never accept me as I am. 
Perhaps you struggle with such shame. You know in your heart that you're forgiven in Christ, but you're not so sure that you're good and righteous in his sight. You still feel like you have a lot of dirty laundry to hide. Maybe it's the termination of a marriage. Maybe it's the termination of a pregnancy. Maybe you've seen things that no person, that no person should ever see. And you feel shame. You've repented. You're forgiven. But you're not free. And it shows. It shows in the distance that you feel at times between you and your God. The distance you feel at times between you and others who touch upon that shame. When Christ said, it is finished, he not only put away your sin, but he put away your shame as well. How? He did it by enduring the cross and despising its shame, Hebrews 12, so that those of us who put our trust in Christ and his payment for our sins will never be put to shame. Friends, I pray that that truth would be delivered to your heart and it would sink deeply into it this very day and that you would find peace and rest for your soul. And that leads to point two. And this is really a conclusion to all we've discussed. Point one, because there is nothing more for Jesus to do to pay for our sins. Point two, there is nothing left for you to do to pay for your sins. There's rest. You can rest. Ah, no, really rest. You can rest in God's amazing and scandalous grace as displayed towards you. It's true, and this is true, of every person here who has surrendered his or her life to Jesus and trusted in him for the payment of your sins. But if you're here tonight and you have not repented, that means turned from your sin and turned to Jesus. Let me tell you, there is no rest. The guilt, the condemnation, the shame, oh, it sticks. The dirty laundry that you have, metaphorically speaking, your sin, yeah, it will get you. It will condemn you before a holy God. But this peace and rest can be yours. But it can be yours not by ignoring your sin. That's not how we get peace, church. We get peace as we confess our sins. What is confession? It's agreeing with God. I agree with your assessment of me, O God, that I am a sinner. I have gone my own way, living an autonomous, independent life, wanting nothing to do with you. I am a sinner. I have run from you, O God. And it's turning and saying, I need you. I need this payment for the sins. I need to be made righteous. I cannot do it. Only you can. And you offer it to me 
at the cross. And it's accepting this good news. If you have not received this good news tonight, oh, would you come to Jesus? Would you come to your Savior and receive the payment for your sins? And may you know his peace. You can be totally clean. Come clean, and he will make you clean. There's good news for you tonight. And for all of us, there can be a rest and there can be a peace that can be yours. I'm talking about a peace, which I believe it's Pastor Tim Keller calls a rest. What did he call it? A rest under the rest. I love that. A place where you can truly rest. But if you're here and you're still living under performance, you can't rest, can you? You can't rest. Why? Because you're living under fear. A fear. Fear of not measuring up. A fear of not being good enough for God. Maybe a fear of not being good enough for this church. A fear of not being good enough for that family member or that friend that you know. Such fears don't make for rest. So what makes Good Friday so good? There's nothing left. There's nothing left for you to do to pay for your sins. It has been done. It is finished. I know there's a lot of stuff in your life right now. Lots of in my life that's unfinished. There's no, there's no closure in my life. But there's closure where it matters most, church. Do you see it? There may be work to be done. In fact, there is good work to be done in your life. How do I know? You're still breathing. God still has work for you to do. You're not done yet. There may be relationships in your life that you want to be reconciled. Person you want to be reconciled with, but you're not. There may be sinners who you are praying for tonight who still have not come to a knowledge and embrace of the Savior. There's still injustices that we see in our society and all around in the court of men. But you see, all this was happening. The moment Christ said it is finished. There was still work to be done. He had a mother to be cared for. We read about it. The widow Mary, who he commended to John. There was work to be done. There was still relationships yet to be reconciled. Go back one chapter, John 18. What do we find? We find Peter. The apostle Peter. The rock. Not denying Christ once, not twice, but three times. Weeping bitterly as Christ hung on the cross. There were yet those to be saved. Pontius Pilate, who handed over Christ to be crucified, who said famously, What is truth? We have no knowledge of him coming to the Savior. How about injustice? Or the story of Barabbas? You know what happened on Good Friday? A notorious criminal, Barabbas, was released. And an innocent man condemned to die. Where is the justice? Oh, there was a lot of things undone that night. 
There's a lot of things. But the most important thing had been accomplished. And Christ did it on the cross for you and for me. Friends, find your rest in Jesus this good Friday. For he is the rest under the rest. Hear his cry from the cross. May it be a whisper into your ear. It is finished. No matter how much may be undone in your life right now, if you're a Christian, there is closure on what matters most. Your relationship and your standing with Christ. There can be rest. How do I know? Good Friday tells us so. Let us pray. Don't need the band to come up. You can stay right there. We're going to close in a different way this evening. Let us pray. Dear Lord, would you bring these words, these three simple words to bear in our life this evening. It is finished. Lord, bring us peace. There are those tonight whose heart is aching. Everything around them seems undone. But Lord, would you bring comfort tonight as only you can bring Comfort from a crucifixion. How can that be? But Lord, it can be. And it was meant to be. So Lord, would you do your work by your spirit. Deliver these truths to our hearts. And may we find rest. A rest in you, O Savior. The crucified and now risen one. Do it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're just saying a little different tonight to close. Just had this thought, never tried it. It's going to be a holy shout. I don't know if we ever tried that here before, Paul, but it's a holy shout. That's what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to say, I'm going to one, two, three. And we're going to say in unison, it is finished. Not, this doesn't say something tepidly, okay? I want you to say it, okay? This is unto the Lord, okay? So I'm going to count to three. We're going to do it that, that pace, okay? We, we have to do it twice, we have to do it twice. That's okay, all right? <laughs> Count to three, and we're going to do I want to hear it loud, okay? Ready? One, two, three. It is finished! Oh, whoa. One, more, one more time. I love that. One more time. One, two, three. It is finished! All right. Amen. Amen, church. Uh, uh, we'll go with these words, Romans 8, verses 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Church, go now in the provided rest of Christ on this Good Friday. Amen? Amen. Amen. See you on Resurrection Sunday.